Welcome to the Let's Go Recovery podcast, where we investigate sobriety and beyond that, explore solutions to help us heal at the core, where the root of our problems like addiction or alcoholism begin. We hope you hear something in today's podcast that ignites a change in your life. Typically, we are tailoring our message to the addicts and alcoholic, but today I have the honor of having a friend, a widow, mother, and author, Terry Gardner. Terry, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me, Tracy. Yeah. You know, like I said, we normally are talking to addicts and alcoholics, but in your case, um, the, your journey's a little bit different. We're going to get into that today. Okay. Tell us a little bit about your book, Landslide. Well, I worked on this book for quite a while, and I started it and couldn't finish it, and I started it again, and I couldn't finish it again. It was a hard story to go back and relive, and every word that I put down, I relived every single moment. So it was a little difficult, but it's called Landslide, a story of faith, hope, and love, because there is always a happy ending in one way or another. is just how you deal with it and how you look at it. So, Terry, I've read the book. I love it, of course. And uh, there's definitely some things in there that talk about when you say the story of faith, hope, and love. There's a there's a lot of hope given in there. But this story actually is your personal story, and it ends and, and, and begins with a little bit of a tragedy. Tell us a little bit about that and what your situation and your story, how it, how it was, what happened for you. Well, I was married for 20 years, and my husband had— uh, several injuries along the way in in our life together. Some were pretty serious and others were maybe not as serious, but it seemed that every time he had a new injury, he had a new medication. And so the prescriptions were piling up and getting refilled after refill after refill. And he became addicted to the painkillers and to the muscle relaxers and he just kept taking them, and it just got worse and worse and worse, and it did not end well. Sadly, I lost him to an accidental overdose. Um, I know in the book it talks about um, how he was found. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how that impacted you? Yes. I think probably it impacted my daughter. Um, maybe not more so, but differently. That morning, I had a um, appointment that I had to get to at work. We had a big meeting, and I had to prepare for that. So I had noticed that he had had a rough night. And that morning, as every morning when I left, I said goodbye. And he sometimes would respond, and sometimes he wouldn't. And so that morning, I made him respond so that I would know that he was okay. And I asked him over and over, are you okay? Are you okay? Talk to me. And he opened his eyes and looked at me and he said, what's wrong? What's wrong? And I said, I'm just checking on you. And he said, well, I'm fine. And I said, okay, I'm going to work. And I left, told my kids on the way out the door, I was leaving early, asked my daughter, please check on your dad before you go to school. And just to be sure that everything is okay. And she did, and he answered her, and they left for school. And my daughter was a senior at the time. She was on the work program where she went to school half a day and worked in the afternoon. And so she came home at lunchtime to get ready to go to work. 
and she went in to check on her dad and he was on the floor and she tried to wake him and she couldn't wake him and I had had a feeling all morning at work that something was wrong and I even tried to call the house several times just because I had this feeling and I kept calling and there was no answer which in itself was not unusual because he didn't always answer the phone so my phone rang my cell phone rang and it was my daughter and the first thing she said was mom I can't wake daddy up and I said go back, just shake him and see if he can respond to you. And, and she said, I did that. Mom, he's cold. And so I, there was no question. Um, so I said, okay, you need to call 911. Don't do it from the bedroom. Go downstairs, call 911. I'm on my way. And she did. And they, of course, got there and, you know, fairly quickly. And uh, I drove from Scottsdale, fastest drive I've ever made in my life. All I could think about was that my daughter was alone in that house dealing with this by herself. And I had to get to her. Wow. And so reality of it is, is that I wasn't surprised. I had expected this phone call so many times. Wow. And I just, every time my phone would ring, that's what I thought was going to be on the other end. But it really hurt me that she was the one that had to make this call. You know, if I could go back and do it over again, it would be that I was the one that had found him and had to deal with the situation. But she, she had to do that. And so it was a very difficult time for her. And it was a difficult time for her for quite a while after. I can imagine. I think, uh, you know, as an addict alcoholic myself, I, th I think that we oftentimes don't recognize just the overall impact we have typically on the day, like the day of, or I was the day after type of guy, right? right. Like, what did, what did I say to my daughters? What did I do to my wife? What did my friends, what did I miss yesterday? Right. But I don't think I ever really understood the long-term impact yeah. and what you're talking about with both you and your daughter are unforgettable moments like right. she doesn't she's not going to wake up one day and not be able to think of what that day looked like and right. i think to you know our audience and and the the women even that have been through something like you and men i think that there's definitely the opportunity to think just what impact am i having on other people today yeah. i was the one saying i'm just hurting myself you right. know, I just missed a couple hours of work. I just wasted a little bit of money at the, you know, the bar too much. Right. But, but what am I really leaving as an impact on somebody is got to be the thought of the addict and alcoholic often, Yes. you know, um, you know, you're talking to a demographic again, that we don't necessarily always talk to and your books filled with your real perspective. Mm -hmm. So how do you like hope to change the narrative for others like you? What is, what is the, whether it be the book or your, your life's work, how do you change the narrative? Like, what do you want to tell somebody that's listening or watching and saying, that's me, mm -hmm. that's what I'm going through. What would you say to them or how do you impact them? My book describes in detail how lonely I felt for so long and that I felt like I was going through this all by myself. Nobody else had these kind of problems. 
I had no information about addiction. I, I didn't know anyone that took drugs, even growing up as a, a teenager. No one in my family even drank alcohol. So I had no, I had no knowledge of addiction. And so now I'm confronted with it on a daily basis. And of course it started out slowly and, uh, I can't tell you how many times I heard the response. I'm only taking what the doctor gave me. But never did he ever come to the conclusion that he was addicted. To the very moment he took his last breath, I don't think he ever thought that he was addicted. So what I would say is don't go through it alone. For me, I, I kept it all together. I didn't tell anybody. It was like our family's deep, dark secret. I was, I don't think I was embarrassed for myself. For me, I thought I was protecting him. I thought I was protecting the persona that people saw him. He was a dad. He was a husband. He taught Sunday school. He had a great job. All of these things that drug addicts aren't, right? So that stigma that you and most people like me had of the drug addict behind a dumpster, behind a convenience store in the dark, came very close to home for me. And I realized then that addicts come in all sizes, all demographics. They come from all walks of life. You don't know who you're standing next to in a grocery store or sitting next to in a church pew. Wow. And so I feel like if I could say anything to anyone now, don't go through it alone. Find help. Ask for help. Seek it. If you don't know where to look, find somebody that does. Otherwise, you're walking a journey that is going to end badly. You can't fix the addict. Hmm. You can't get help for the addict, no matter how hard you try, no matter how many times you tell them they need to get help, you can't fix it until they come to that decision and they reach for it themselves. There's nothing you can do. But what you can do is get help for yourself, get help for your family. If I have one regret of something that I could have changed, something I could have done differently would have been try harder to find help for me, for my children. You know, I heard about Al-Anon for mm -hmm. so many years. Well, that's people who drink. Right. Who knew that there were programs to help family members for, for addiction, for medications, for any other addiction that you have. There is help somewhere. I wish I would have tried harder to find it. Wow, that's impactful because our tagline talks about igniting passion and enthusiasm for recovery through the conduit of human connection. And I think a lot of people miss that part. They hear the enthusiasm and the passion that I bring, but they don't hear about the human connection. And again, whether you're an addict, a family of, an outsider, whoever you are, human beings helping human beings is actually one, our influence, but actually the most imperative part of recovery, right? You're recovering too. Like a lot of people think that it's just the addict that recovers. You have hurt, you have pain and, and they're obvious and they're, you know, uh, drawn out in your book. But in reality, 
We all do. We all have yeah. these struggles. And, it, you know, if it's an eating disorder, it's like find somebody that had an eating disorder. Right. Right. Because I go, I don't understand that. I personally don't struggle with that. But I could be, you know, get influence gambling or right. monies or, you know, things I look at on the Internet that I probably shouldn't. All those things are a product of me trying to fill a void. Yeah. Right. He, in my soul. I don't like me. Right. I don't like what I've done. And so as a wife of you look at yourself and internalize it instead of going, hey, who else? Right. right. It's funny. You know, I, I came to the realization into church just just like, um, you know, we, we grew up in and I didn't think anybody, like you said, in the pews, well, they weren't me. No. You know, they weren't like me. But the day that I stood up and said, hey, I, I struggle with drugs and alcohol, the line for people to say me too was shocking. You know, it almost almost was taken back a little bit by it because I was hurt that like, why didn't you say anything? You know, families coming to us and go like, oh, you know, you're perfect little family. You know, I have twin right. daughters. Like everything looks good. Like you're, you're describing me. You know, when, when you're talking, I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm going, that's me. I'm your husband, right? I have a good job. I'm not right. selling my wife's purses for drugs. I'm not doing this sort of thing. We got it together. We're showing up to church on Sunday. I'm at most of the events, you know, yeah. there and everything's fine. But then in the inside, I'm hurting. My wife's hurting. My kids are definitely hurting. And I'm not realizing that just on the other side of some of these walls is the person that could change my life yes. forever. Yes. Forever. Um, it's been some time since your, you know, your tragedy. If you see the culture, uh, the cultural like thoughts towards addiction, what have you seen, whether since you wrote your book or just since you set your eyes were kind of awake to the fact that, hey, this is something that a lot of people are going through. What are some of the influences and changes you've seen in, in the marketplace and or in your own life? I think what I've noticed more than anything is the uh, vocal piece. People are talking about it. They're not hiding it. They're saying I have someone in my family that needs help. How do I get that? I need help. How do I get that? It, it's being talked about. It's being brought out into the open. And it, it's like that wound that never heals. You know, you it's never going to heal as long as you keep covering it up, right? Mm -hmm. You have a cut or, or something and you put a bandage on it and you never let it have air. It's never going to heal. It's going to stay a wound from now on. If you don't bring this addiction or whether it's gambling or drugs or alcohol, whatever it is, if you don't bring it out into the light, it's never going to heal. And for me, I see that there are more people saying, I have a problem or like you, I had a problem and I got help for it. Well, when I was dealing with this, almost 20 years ago, you didn't hear that. It was, it was covered up and, and you just did not talk about it. So that's the biggest difference that I see now. And I think it's important that people know that, that they're not alone, right? You say that language and it, and it cuts to the core of a lot of our listeners and viewers that, Hey, I'm not alone. And, and, and you, and I use the word that you're not unique or you're not special, not in a negative way, but just that, you know, yeah, there's another man or woman or child that's struggling yeah. in the same way you have, and you don't have to go this journey alone. You know, yeah. find help. Obviously, that's the encouragement. I see you've got your book out here, and you've got some things uh, bookmarked. Uh, tell me a little bit about what you want to share with us, maybe from your book. You know, when I was writing this, one of the things that occurred to me, which I hadn't really thought about 
until I was actually writing this, was that to me, this addiction was like a, a mistress for me. It was like something that I was competing against and I didn't know how to compete. And so everywhere I turned, this mistress was there. Every part of our life. And so I wrote this poem. I'm not gonna say I'm a great poet, but I did write this poem and included it. When I wrote this poem, I was probably at one of my lowest points. I had, I had fought with him over this. I had listened to his excuses. I had listened to his uh, reasoning according to him. And I was so sad that my marriage was just not where it used to be. And I felt like I had lost the battle. And so I wrote this. So I'm going to share it with Please, you. Please, absolutely. She creeped in amidst the darkness like a fog consumes the sky. To her victims, she was nameless. I didn't really try. Her importance to me was unclear. So my attention was distracted. Although I knew when she was near, her power not yet detected. In time, her presence I questioned and how often she appeared. In response, I suggested one that he didn't want to hear. I requested he decide a choice between her and me. He asked that I see his position. There's no problem here, I see. You're wrong about her power. I just need her now and again. Her voice is never louder than the voice I have within. I knew she'd won the battle. Her control much stronger than mine. Up a creek without a paddle, it was only a matter of time. I remember the day he left me, how suddenly it came. Her grip was never ceasing. By now... I knew her name. Her name is now important as I look back onto the past. Her name will not lie dormant. In my life, it will forever last. She lives in many households. Her grasp has no restriction. In time, she gains control, and I know her as addiction. <sighs> Powerful stuff. Man, whoa. Um well, if you're not a good poet, I don't know what that is. That's uh, that's powerful stuff. Uh, it takes me back just because, you know, I have a wife, like I said, and I know the, the prayers that she prayed, and you know, empty for a lot of years, right? And it took a long time. I, I struggled for 20 years fighting the same battle that you're talking about. And to, and to hear that said that way, that grip that it has on so many people for so many different reasons yeah. that are – unbeknownst to the other person like you don't know why he chose you know you know look at yeah. us look at our family you know yeah. my, and I again I still struggle in my own home with that like how did you choose these people or these places or these things over us is such a yeah. difficult thing and addiction is the only answer it like it, 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 it's that's the reason I chose and and quite frankly um again a sad end to your story but I think that the key is 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 that if you talk to one person and one wife says, 
today we have hope. Today we got help. Yes. Today we're able to impact others. Yes. Then your mission is being accomplished. And that's my mission. When I wrote this book, I knew it wasn't going to be a bestseller. I wasn't going to make the New York Times. I, I, I knew all of this, but that wasn't the reason. The reason was that I had held this story so close to the vest for so long. It was time to open it up. And if it helps one person, like you said, one person, I don't care if I sell five books, 500 books, or 5,000, I don't care. If one person reads my book and says, I need to get help for my family, for myself, then it's all worth it. This will never go away for me. I, I will live this day and this period of time, this journey, I will live it from now on. There is never a day goes by that something doesn't trigger something that happened during that journey. I know and I hold in my heart the fact that God is in control. God will use this, my story, in a way that is best for him. And I'm just going to sit back and let him do it. Wow, that's great. Um, how, how how many years? I guess I don't uh, think I'd know that count. How many years of the, was this? Your husband takes, and I want to say who is an Oxycontin opioid type of yes. uh, yeah. Okay, so he takes opioids uh, prescriptionally at first. How long does the period of addiction last for in in your marriage? Like, what was that period of time? You know, when we first got married, he suffered from migraines. So he, even before I met him, he had been on migraine medication for most of his adult life. So I knew that going in. And then he had injury after injury, like I said, and it became uh, Darvacet early on oh. was the big, you know, the sure. big choice drug at the time. So Darvacet moved on and then all of the opioids came into play. And every time something would happen, he would get a stronger dose or he would get uh, more frequent. And then when they stop working because your body builds up an immunity, then, okay, I need more and more and more. And then from that, they included uh, muscle relaxers. Wow. So now you've got opioids and now you've got muscle relaxers all together. And, I mean, it got to the point to where if the doctors wouldn't fill him, he was driving across the border. Wow. And he, uh, he, he did just like any other addict. I'll do what I have to. And he did. And what, what period of time? How many years is that? It will be 20 years that he passed away in February. No, how many years was he in his addiction? Uh, he behavior? was in the middle of probably full-blown addiction out of the 20 years we were married probably 16 wow yeah so a long journey long. yeah I, th I think that's the point um that i want to make as sure is that you know some of these people that i deal with think you know my son you know he picked up this thing in high school he, you know he smoked a little weed right. he's he's doing this and he, he'll grow out of it and you know, we'll get him help and he'll get fixed. Right. But sometimes these journeys last a long time. A long time. Well, so if with that being the case, what would you tell your younger self? Let's say you're talking to that wife or mom that's in the early stages of dealing with something like this. 
Okay, so whether it's alcohol, drugs, gambling, whatever it is, what would you tell her or them in the early stages of this journey? If you had something you could say to them, other than getting help, like you said, talk to somebody, what else would you say to a mother that's wife that's dealing with something like this? Education. Educate yourself on the medications they're taking. Educate yourself on the side effects they would have. Find out how long you should be on these pain medications. Go to doctor appointments. Be there to hear the doctor. Be there to see what they are writing. Question. Ask questions. Education is key here. You don't know what you don't know, and I did not know. So I would change that, and that's what I would say to myself. That's what I would say to anyone right now. Education is key. Yeah, I always talk to the addict about the awareness. Self-awareness, right, is with an addict is, is do I like the things I'm doing with my life today, right? right. Do I look back over today, you know, and then as somebody in recovery, I'm still taking that into consideration. Did yeah. I do the things today that I want to do? So we use that word awareness. Yeah. And so many times naivete is, is like, well, I'm just, as the addict, I'm just using it for, you know, this pain I have in my shoulder, not this pain I have in my heart. Right. And to the person that's dealing with them, well, they're just fixing their shoulder. Right. right. Like it's it's this ongoing thing of like, hey, no, we have to have real conversations, you know, and and also I would think probably talking to them when they're in their best state, not when they're in their lowest of lows, because I never heard my right. wife on the nights when I came home too late. Right. Or the the days when I didn't quite get out of bed. I never heard her on those days. You know, it was on in the quiet mornings, you know, when I felt like her say, do you really want to do that again today? Yeah. Or, you know, are you going to do that again tomorrow? Yeah. So I think raising the awareness, even in your own household, is probably key. Um, and also, obviously, getting help of, of somebody else. I you know, I, I see a second tab. Is there anything else you'd like to share from your book? Uh, and I want to make sure our listeners understand we're talking about Landslide. It's Terry Gardner's story. I'm hoping it's available to people to buy if they want to. And we'll make it a, a, a part of this uh, podcast. We'll link it or however we can do it. I want to make sure our viewers can get it. But Tell us all what else is in here that you want to share. Well, I think what I want to share is the words that came out of my daughter's mouth the day that she discovered her dad. Because that's how I started this book, is with those words. And I bring them up again. And I just think that when you hear from a child's mouth exactly what it is they experienced and how they were feeling. So my cell phone rang and it was my daughter, Rachel, and I heard her voice and she said, mom, something's wrong with daddy. He's laying on the floor and I don't think he's breathing. The feeling that came over me was just as I expected it would be. And if the world had stopped for just that moment, just long enough for my heart to stop beating. I took a breath, and as that breath came, so did the words, do you feel a heartbeat? See if there's a heartbeat. Put your hand on his chest to feel his pulse. See if you can feel his heart beating. I heard the phone hit the table, and then her voice again. It felt like forever. And then she said, 
Mom, he's cold, and I can't move his hands. I closed my eyes, and tears began to fall. Hang up the phone, Rachel. Call 911. I'm on my way. Not every story ends with with a good good no. ending. That's a, a hurt that's still there for you. Yes. Um, obviously there for your daughter. She's working in treatment now. Um, yes. I think she feels a, uh, is it what I, can I call it a sense of duty or uh, maybe even a, an honor to help others? Yes. That maybe, um, I like to use the language and I've used it before that we're most qualified to help the person we used to be, right? You're that, you're that hurting teen. Yeah. You're that mom, you're that wife, you're that addict or alcoholic. Mm-hmm. You ought to be finding the person that's like you in order to give them help. Yes. Thank you so much for being here. Hopefully you've enjoyed it as much as I. I've learned so much. Um, We're going to make available to all of our viewers her book. Uh, We'll get a close-up of it, put it on the podcast, any links that we can. Um, I appreciate you being here. Thank you so much. I've learned so much, and I appreciate your time. Thanks, Tracy. All right. I hope you heard something today that gets you to take one small step into the version of the person that you want to be. For more content like this, subscribe to our channel below or you can go on letsgorecovery.org. Until next time, 